Welcome to Surgis Snacks, the podcast that serves up tasty insights for your surgical practice. Join Al Norweb and Justin Rockman of Surgimate as they deliver bite-sized episodes that feature actionable insights and real-world examples to help you conquer the challenges of surgical scheduling and unlock your practice's full potential. Let's dig in. Hello and welcome to Surge of Snacks. My name is Al Norweb and I am the Chief Growth Officer of Surgimate. And if you like to geek out about the business of surgical practices, then you've come to the right place. Here on Surge of Snacks, our goal is to give you bite-sized content, 10, 12 minutes long, something that you can hopefully pop in your ear in the shower or at the gym and get something useful uh, to help you think about your surgical practice. Uh, I am delighted to be joined by my host or my guest here, Ozzy Delgado for the second of a two-part series. Ozzy, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Great, Al. Uh, excited to do this again with you. Uh, agreed. I, I really enjoyed our, the first part of our discussion. Um, I encourage anybody who hasn't listened to the first one, go ahead back and 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 take a listen. I know, Ozzy, you're gonna you go in a little more depth around what is Hopco uh, and and your bio. But quickly for our audience here, could you give us like the 20 second elevator pitch just so people are up to speed? Yeah, we, we, so uh, my name is Ossie Delgado. I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Hopco. Hopco stands for Healthcare Outcomes Performance Company, and we pride ourselves on being uh, the best uh, value-based musculoskeletal care company in, in the country. Yeah, impressive. And, and just to recap, this is an organization with 20 years in the making, um, delivering this kind of a value-based model and getting better and better at it over time in many different markets. So uh, true experts in this world. And so we're excited to have you on the show. And so you may have guessed that our topic for the discussion is the interplay between value-based care and the delivery of surgery. We always have uh, a snack on our show that's representative of the topic of the day. So uh, our our snack is dark chocolate uh, because it's the perfect balance between bitter and sweet, which is we're always trying to find with value-based care, finding that sweet spot. Uh, and we picked Trader Joe's because obviously that was the best budget value um, for for the quality that you get. So, Ozzy, when we spoke last, uh, we left off talking about uh, how value-based care in a lot of ways is about delivering appropriate care to the right patient at the right time. In some cases, surgery actually being the cheaper alternative, because if that's ultimately where the patient's going to go, that can end up being better that directing to the right side of care, maybe avoiding overnight stay and other other expensive parts of the care is another way to, to deliver quality and reduce costs. Uh, now, the question I'm sure many people ask, I know I think about too, when thinking about how to drive value-based care in, in a private practice world, um, how do you get your doctors and your organization to rally behind the, the value-based protocols you put in place and, and the structures that you want them to deliver for those better outcomes at a better price? and, and and cost. Yeah, uh, you know, it's. A, I think that's probably one of the more frequent questions we get going around the country, Al. And, and I'll tell you, you know, the a key driver behind that is uh, number one, it's it's what all the physicians have been trained to do. I mean, truth be told, and it's they they see that during the residency and fellowship training that they end up coming across that. And you know, now that they're in practice, it's about how do we align the incentives so that they are doing what they've always wanted to do, but potentially, you know, there, there could be barriers that did not enable them to deliver what they wanted to do, but ensuring that we could actually align the incentives around them, that they allows them to be able to deliver an 
how they trained along their path. And, and that might include anywhere between, you know, quality incentive payment models to just utilizing surgical uh, scheduling decision support tools that allows them to be able to align not just how they practice and, and manage the care of patients, but how the receiving facility or how, uh, you know, aligned providers, other specialties align in the care of the treatment of that one patient overall. So, you know, Hopco has a lot of excellence through evidence-based protocols and care paths that we have, and, and we certainly have bring those to markets that end up choosing to engage with us as well. Are they primarily proprietary, Ozzy? You've developed them over time as an organization? We, we do. Uh, and, and, and I'll tell you, we've developed them over time, but I will tell you it's not set in stone because anybody who's set something in time, it's not static. You have to continue to evolve them as new research comes out, as, as new findings come out. Uh, in fact, when we engage in markets, this is not really a hard push down. We share openly what we have and really engage in active conversations and saying, well, what are you seeing in your respective market? And maybe there's something that we missed. I mean, we're not here to say we've solved all the problems in the world, but I think that iterative process only stands to make it better over time. And you able to stay current and, and with the latest and greatest of what's occurring in the care of these, these ultimate patients. Thing. Um, and are, are the, it's, of course they're evolving. That's, that's an interesting perspective. And over 20 years, I'm sure they've, they've continued to, and they, they will for a long time. Do you actually use different pathways in different markets, depending on maybe the, the way the contracts are structured with your payers or maybe even demographic differences that you've identified? Yeah. So, so, so the, the, the care paths don't necessarily change or there's different ones in different markets. I think uh, treating musculoskeletal, you know, patients, is treating musculoskeletal patients. So that being said, there might be different factors that need to be adaptive to a respective market because there are different pressures or forces that you need to kind of be mindful of. Uh, and at the end of the day, we're still trying to accomplish, you know, great outcomes for patients in the most cost-effective way. And, and that's not necessarily the same market to market. So you have to kind of evaluate that and say, maybe – we did this as part of a screening process in one market, but that's not really relevant here because they all do it. So how do we evolve that further? Or perhaps we actually have to take it a step back and add an extra additional step because this market wasn't maybe as affluent as another market that we were in from a patient perspective. Okay. So similar pathways maybe, but some of them uh, need to be reemphasized because of the dynamics of that market, right? Yeah, reemphasized or potentially slightly altered, specific to that that one market as well. Okay. Um, and so you mentioned just a little bit earlier uh, the element of surgical scheduling and the administrative piece of it. That's obviously our bread and butter at Surgery and something we're we're very uh, interested in. Uh, how does that play out in? the interaction with the doctors as well as the value-based care model for you? Like what are the ways that you leverage technology and you leverage that part of the process to deliver what you need to deliver? Yeah. I think as we spoke in the, in the last episode, you know, we, we mentioned how having patients receiving their care in the right location is important. And in this model, it's a lot about the shift that has occurred from inpatient hospital type of location care to, outpatient same day ASC care, um, you know, the, the scheduling episode is the scheduling episode. And there's the clinical decision-making component that involves the provider and, and, and engagement with the patient. But there's an entire, uh, as you know, in Surgimate, there's an entire administrative component 
that needs to be really kind of hardwired and well-refined to be able to deliver that. And I think understanding that there are differences and nuances that change with different sites of care from a location standpoint and incorporating that into the scheduling process overall uh, is important because we could kind of mitigate any concerns or issues that may arise and not allow an unfortunate circumstance, circumstance such as a cancellation of a case or a patient who really needs a pain that you know has pain and needs to get it addressed and now is not able to get that addressed and then gets pushed off a week or what have you because we didn't take care of something administratively involved in managing that scheduling and ultimately that gets us to that episode of care for the surgical episode. That's it's interesting. I mean, that's uh, obviously the the topic that I think we try to drive a lot with, with organizations. Um, I think m- most musculoskeletal and many surgical practices, not just in orthopedics, um, they sort of view cancellations as a cost of business and they are right They're Inevitably cancellations happen for lots of very legitimate reasons, but um, being able to minimize those on the margin can drive a lot of value. And that's very interesting to hear your perspective is when you're delivering value-based care, and what you're saying basically is if I have to wait, to deliver the right care at the right time, like we were talking about in the first episode, that actually ends up costing you That's as right. an organization. So not just delayed revenue, right, which is an issue in its own right, but actually worse outcome for the patient, potentially uh, intervening care between now and then. So, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, we, we see it a lot. Um, I'll use it in one of our subspecialties, hand cases, you know, where. You, you can't, you can ill afford to wait too long. You know, you don't want a, a malunion to occur. And then that actually is, is even worse off, you know, where there could have been the ability for early manipulation and treatment of a patient, which could have set the course off straight, um, waiting too long actually becomes detrimental to that outcome of the patient. That's a perfect example. Um, all right. So we only have a few more minutes left. I want to uh, shift a little bit to uh, some forward thinking. It's a little bit of a grab bag, Ozzy. But um, first topic, this one I found interesting listening to um, a, a recent discussion on the emergence of GLP-1 inhibitors in the U.S., um, maybe a tidal wave that's sort of coming in terms of their use and their apparent effectiveness in in lowering weight, right? And weight bearing is a is comorbid with a lot of musculoskeletal conditions, right? So, you know, heavier people tend to be, have more issues with joints, et cetera. So, you know, have you guys been thinking about this as an organization? Is this a threat uh, or is this an opportunity in a value-based care model that you know, we might be looking at it, a real drop in the obesity rates in the U.S., which is a wonderful thing, right? Um, how does that affect your business? Is it good or bad? I embrace it with... Um uh, I think we have, we embrace it as as a positive welcoming because when you look at all of the uh, professional society recommendations out there, the, the BMI is a, a, an indicator that leads to poor outcomes for surgical outcomes. So some patients yep. that are morbidly obese and and just have too high of a BMI, you know, are ruled out for surgical intervention. So I think when you look at uh, these these new kind of options for patients that actually allows them to lose weight. Uh, and from my perspective, from our perspective, we see that that allows them to rule in now for a surgical intervention that gives them a fighting chance to really fix the cause and issue mm-hmm. and, and allow them to kind of return to maybe a more active, healthier lifestyle uh, with their ability to be able to kind of shave off that weight overall. So I, I, we actually see that as a very positive outcome and welcome it. I love that perspective. So 
uh, ideally and optimally you have less patients who are, who have, you know, issues because of their weight, but the size of the, the patient pool that you can address actually because of these comorbidities and these risks during surgery being reduced, you know, actually presents as an opportunity. Also to our discussion around ASCs, obesity tends to be one of the, the driving factors of not being able to operate inside the ASC. So you, you continue to allow for that trend to, 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 to go forward, which I That's think is exactly. good. Um, great perspective, right? So hopefully we have time for one more. So I'm going to squeeze this one in. Um, love your perspective on this, you know, thinking for like what's on your wish list for, uh, particularly as we talked about the administrative side of scheduling and preparing, coordinating surgeries, uh, what would be on your wish list or what do you think is coming down the pike in the future that hopefully will lead to better results for patients and for your organization? Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I, I think um, you're, you're going to give me a wish list. There are a lot of administrative burdens that are put on healthcare in general, that whether that be private practice providers or health systems or what have you, uh, or, or the payers have to put certain barriers in place to protect themselves as well. You know, I, my wish list is to say, look, we are all practicing under a kind of a, an earned accreditation principle that if you do things the right way um, and, and determine what's the right way it is to care for the health of a population, you earn your badge, if you will, and you eliminate these unnecessary barriers and hurdles that, are currently fraught within our industry that only adds excess costs and excess waste uh, and an excess burden in actually impeding the ability to treat and, and manage more lives and more healthier, more populations in general overall. So my wish list would be that we would kind of come to some model that allows us to be able to deliver that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think um, Texas has been working on this and I think yeah. New York, but like golden laws, for example, I've where, heard of- you know, once once you I've heard of them, but they're not common enough, right? Where right. Hey, if, if a doctor passes a screening period and shows that their prior authorizations are appropriate, et cetera, et cetera, then then we go to like a TSA model. Maybe once in a while we're going to hit you with a prior auth, but why do we need it every time, right? And actually, it's better for the payers as well because they're spending a fortune on all the administrative work to evaluate them, and so. There's a, there's a lot to be gained on that side for sure. So those are costs uh, that are, that are taking from the system that could be re yeah. back into the system overall. Yeah. And to help patients at the end of the day, because right. none of this stuff is really helping the patient that much. It's more just how we organize ourselves. So, That's right. well, we, uh, we continue to want to be at the forefront of those changes and be part of the solution. Ozzy, it's, it's really been a pleasure having a chance to speak with you. I can't thank you enough for joining us and, I hope uh, our audience enjoys the insights that you provided. Uh, as always, uh, please leave us your comments um, or provide any feedback or ideas you have for future show topics. We'd love to hear them. Thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Surge of Snacks, and we look forward to talking to you the next time. Ozzy, thank, thanks so much. Take care. Thanks, Al. So.